Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Build Black Podcast. So <laughs> I found this audio. Um, I was I was being interviewed by a maker of a card game. Her name is Linda. Um, she's a wonderful, amazing uh, black person. She's actually from Germany, and she got in touch ages ago. And then she owns a couple of Instagram pages, and I've uh, she's featured me a couple times on the Instagram page. So she asked me if she could interview me for her card game. Her card game is called uh, Debate Mate. And it's about um, questions that you can ask on dating to increase connection and get to know each other better. Um, so she pulled out some cards and we went through them. And it was a great conversation. But then I just found the audio on my computer, which I was planning to basically record on my uh, laptop for improved sound. And I just didn't turn it off. And we never used it. But now I want to use it <laughs> so that you can hear this amazing uh, game in action. And I thought it'd be great for you to have. So um, this is what it is. The sound quality isn't as amazing as um, maybe the intro, but there's so much food in these questions and answers. Um, and so if you get the opportunity, do actually buy the game. It's called Debate Mate. I believe it's on Amazon. Um, and yeah, it's a purple box. <laughs> So if you get there and there's like 10 versions of it, it's the one with the purple box. Um, so yeah, enjoy, listen. Um, and there's her asking me questions and me answering and there's me as asking questions and her answering. That super interesting conversation. I thought, why not share it with the world? Dope Black Podcast. Dope Black Podcast. I picked a few questions that go along with your Dope Black Dad brand and the things you talk about. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Why are you laughing? No, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. And the things you talk about on social media and when you go on the shows and in general, you know how you rep- how you represent the black community. Mm-hmm. And um, but I'm going to start with like one light question. Can I pick them though? I feel like they should be sprayed Yeah, I'm going to do that. But okay, there's cool. two questions that we're going to start off with. Okay, cool. In terms of like, you know, just warming up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That I have not much to do. Well, let's see. Okay, the first question I'm going to ask you, mm-hmm. which is in there, is um, how do you think others describe you? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't have no idea. Um, I, I think it depends on the context of our relationship I would say um, my team would say like fierce protector of them very driven um, manic 
because I have like there's so much going on at any given time mm-hmm. I would say that like friends would just say I don't know I don't I stopped asking okay this is a really interesting thing I'm thinking about it I'm like I, 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 I don't know I, I almost feel like at this point of my life I'm just more I know that I look after people within what I agree mm-hmm. and I create social contracts with everybody mm-hmm. and in that I will say what the experience of being around me is going to be like mm-hmm. and then I just go and if it works it works and if it doesn't it doesn't so before I was a bit more like let's have 360 feedback like how are you feeling and I felt like then you get people who don't really understand what you're about mm-hmm. feedbacking to you from their perspective and it's not, I, I felt like it just became a distraction from what I was just doing like mm-hmm. what I'm doing is a service to people and to companies and to things and to say like what do you think of me is different to ask me like what do people think of like the work we're doing okay. like I, I have more feedback in that that regard like someone can sit okay. there and say the way we're doing the work could be better I can listen to that but like for me I just know me at this point and there is no other alternate versions mm-hmm. <laughs> that are available to people so I think in each social contract is almost like a service level agreement of like what I can mm-hmm. do and I can tell myself if I'm matching it or not and if they're not I'll be the first to tell them that it's not available to them why okay um, which is a slightly different approach to maybe what your question was asking but no 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 not at all like, <laughs> I, think, I think it's also very difficult to kind of like be like how do you think others describe you because it's like do you really go around asking people that like I would love to do that more but then sometimes you don't really ask I, I do ask it but you mm. don't really ask your friends too much yeah. So it's not like something that you just walk around and be like, oh, how would you describe me? So you can just only guess and you don't really know. But I think what you said makes a lot of sense in terms of like also, um, you know, you said you're driven, you said manic. Like, yeah. also like, this is also why I also made sure like today when you said you're free today that I kind of like catch you because you're like, <laughs> catch, you if you, catch me if you can kind of person. Yeah, you really yeah. travel a lot and I really wanted to grab that opportunity and be like, okay, let me just get up and quickly come and see you because I'm yeah, yeah. like doing so many things. You, you, you're you very driven mm. and you have a lot of things going on and you're like grabbing opportunities and you're creating like loads of loads of things and also <laughs> and not loads of things that's such a bad way to articulate no, 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 but you like you know have so many projects you're into so many things yeah you're mm. a creative mm. and you are in your like prime of creating and connecting mm. with people and creating content and yeah so yeah, it's I very think, inspiring i think yes. i'm thinking about it more and i think the most succinct way to say it is that at this stage of my life and career i have my own internal way of being accountable to like my behavior mm-hmm. so i i don't look for the external validation in what my experience is day to day or how people experience me i know when i'm not being my best self mm-hmm. like immediately and i think somewhere between having like a therapist medium psychologist coaches people around me who are professionally enabled to hold me to account those are the people that i speak to about mm-hmm. my way of doing things yeah more. And I think generally just being able to get a, a sense of is the mission progressing being the actual answer to that question in addition to what I just said. So I think that's probably what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get what you mean. And I also feel like, yeah, you have like this like calm, calm and collective, mm. humble, but still 
confidence about you. I mean, just I think sometimes people they're like, oh, you can't be humble and confident at the same time, but you can, and it's like a like like a silver not a silver line, but it's like a a fine line, mm. you know. And I think you you really represent that, like sometimes energy wise from what I pick up. Mm-hmm. It's like you you're confident, you're very confident in mm. your abilities and you know your life path. Mm. I'd say. But then at the same time, it comes like a calm stillness with a humble, calm stillness with it. And I think that's really nice energy and it makes people around you, like you also say, feel secure. Because mm-hmm. you, you kind of like, it seems like you know where you're going without having to be like, I know where I'm going, guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so it just explains itself. And yeah, I think yeah. that's like a really good asset, you mm. say, to have about yourself. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Thank you. How would you say people describe me? Um, or how do I observe you? Yes, but don't be too soft. Like, I want to hear the truth. No, truth, there's, you there's know? no, I, I don't have a, a, there is no non nice thing to say. Like, it's more, I, I always admire your, you have a drive as well. Like, I think to come into this country and settle and then, like, have a focus, focal point. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, creating the game. And I think I told you that we played this game with my family in Jamaica. Yes. And they were oh, wow, so... Oh, Jamaica? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were <laughs> okay. so complimentary about the idea of it. They just loved it. So we were playing that for like a whole day and it was a really nice afternoon. And also then you get to know your family in a different way. Because mm-hmm. if I spoke to my cousins normally, we would go through, you know, all of our childhood, make up a whole bunch of stuff. But sometimes those questions just cut through the ice. So I was an, I'm a big advocate for them. Obviously, that's why we're doing the session now. Mm-hmm. And I told you about that. But I think to come here and build something and have a constant desire to build something for yourself, but also something that creates positivity yes. is for me just like tells me everything. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be the biggest selling game of all time. It's more about you seeing a gap and going and trying to create mm-hmm. something. And that's something that I always think like, I measure that more than whether someone's successful or not. Yes. So when I meet people, I try to figure out like what's their thing and what are they committed to. And I think if they're committed to improving the world in some way, I know that we would we would get in a good place because mm. that's a bigger mission than just like how you feel today. Like, yes. There's days I don't feel good, but because I know what I'm doing, I have to do it mm. and I continue through the challenge. Yeah. So in many ways, that's my like understanding of how I've experienced you so far is through that lens. Oh, thank you. Mm. Yeah, no, and, and I could definitely um, get what you mean. I mean, even though, you know, living in London and going through the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, you do want to be successful. But at the other hand, it's like, I firstly think about how I can add value to society and mostly to my community. And I also know like that even the card game, like something positive, it's something positive for sure, but there are some questions that spark very uncomfortable conversations, mm. but nonetheless, they're crucial to have mm. in many relationships, not just between man and woman and romantically, but friendships, family, like at the end of the day, is my social environment an environment that I can build with? Mm. And I feel like based on all the questions in there, you will figure out, you're going to learn, <laughs> you know, if these are people that you can build with, that you can see a future with, I mean, or come closer with, or mm. even have a little bit of space. Cause I think, you know, mindset really matters, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big advocate of that. Okay. That's yeah. cool. Okay. Perfect. So the next question that I feel like should be at the beginning um, and then after I'm gonna let you like pick. Mm-hmm. And the question would be, um, 
what is your contribution to the progress of your people? So I, I think I want to be very specific. What I have is two things is vision and empathy. And I think the vision part is a way that I believe the world should be. So I have, I have a clear sight of what that looks like. Uh, the empathy gives me the patience and capacity to do it. And then I think within the vision is like a strategic way of seeing things. So I'm mm. um, constantly looking at the world, seeing what the gaps are and then finding an answer for them. And then doing the delivering them with empathy. And so even if it's at cost of myself at times, I know the only way you can do this with empathy. Like you can't teach um, the inequality that occurs in blackness or in masculinity with a harsh line. Mm. Like it's never going to be just get off your ass and do something different or, you know, just change as an as a old to, to men um, and what their current challenges are. So I know I need to create empathy and it's quite new language around the experience of being black and being a man. And I think that is what inherently drives me. Um, and I look, a lot of it is based on my personal experience. So it's a very personal tale that I speak of. And I've found the black experience, masculinity and neuronormative really difficult to navigate. And so I've had to find answers some of them are bigger spiritual answers, some of them are more practical day-to-day -day answers, but I'm aware that like my life, likeness, lived experience, skills and talents haven't just been easy to navigate. Like, you know, I am not the poster boy for ease. And so in that, I've had to ask real important questions, develop new skills, um, learn things about the world, and that's what I ultimately share. But I make sure I share it with empathy, not a hard stick. And can can you like maybe even like tell me like a story of like like an example of where you kind of like not realized your masculinity? I mean, you can't really realize that mm. you, you embody that or not. But it's, it it has been become like more of a conversation recently as well. Mm. And I think we all have like moments where I had moments where I was like delving into what femininity actually means and what it means for me and what it means for me as a black woman and what it means for me as a woman as a millennial woman and you know i had like a few realizations a few things that happened where i was realized like hold on i need to tap into my femininity mm. have you have have you had like similar experiences where you're like okay maybe there's an imbalance or something that where you lived your life before because you said before like your life didn't, wasn't a life that started off like with ease mm. and it's something you kind of had to work towards to become this calm and collected still humble confident man <laughs> um can you tell me like a story of like a yeah. moment where so the way i separate masculinity and femininity is i say masculine is doing and i'll say femininity is being and the doing part is really easy for men so us having solutions that are practical are where our strong suit is And I think some of the more traditional elements of masculinity about protecting your family, providing all those elements are so intuitive into my understanding that after about 30 odd years of doing that, what I realized I didn't have is the softer skills. And I think often, and this is more like intersectional, especially like black men growing up in, in the cities, our relationship with ourselves and our surroundings is so challenging at times that you do not get a chance to work on your softer skills. 
feminine side. Yeah, like, you know, the idea that you would just feel your feelings, <laughs> like on an estate or something, is highly unlikely. Or feel your feelings when somebody racially abuses you, or feel your feelings when you get stopped and searched by the police and not wanting to enact some sort of justice or repair yourself or make yourself feel better by any other means. So you're kind of, you learn to soothe yourself and the, and the methods of soothing yourself are normally at the cost of somebody else or even your own peace and value. And so I had to learn how to sit with myself. Mm. That was a really intentional thing. And I think, you know, I've faced all those experiences and I think every man will tell you the first time he got rejected violently by a woman, like what that did to him changed him it's like an alchemy mm. and you're not the same after that and if you've had a challenging relationship with your mother you're not the same after that your relationship with women is starts there and if you then get stopped and searched by the police 30 times and if you go to school and they say you're going to go to jail and you're going to be nothing and just constantly chipping away at your sense of self by the time you're an adult you have all those marks on you and there is no collective way to heal that there is no space to heal that we can't as men we can't go to women and be like heal us from our developmental years it's not fair on them but it's also just not going to happen so we we're having to learn that we can't just be these broken men in society figuring it out using people um and we've had to be more accountable the, the hard part is that there's very little support even in language or community mm. in us doing that work is kind of just do it because the cost of us not doing it is so great you're hurting children you're hurting women you're hurting elderly you're hurting disabled people you're homophobic just like lots of very big ideas about what us at our least powerful can do to others but then not the, the support that we need to then accelerate that mm -hmm. so there's going to be a period of like lots of wounded men just existing around us and then I think the next generation will have a bit of an easy one. And I say generation, I'm talking five to eight year gap between mm. the next generation. So I'm almost hitting 40 and men of my generation had no capacity to do some of the things that men at 25 are not doing. I've just seen a group of men mm. wearing pearls and, 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 arm, and, and handbags. And I'm like, that's so dope that we've evolved mm -hmm. where like guys on an estate are also wearing pearls. Mm -hmm. Like that just wouldn't be, that just wouldn't be possible. Mm. And it's just a, it's an evolution of a conversation, an expression, a way of being that is more acceptable than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. So time will be our friend. But for those men who are challenged now and in the mud of it, we can't, there's no cancellation hotel to put them in. So they exist amongst us and mm. we need to find a way. So that's why I do a lot of the intentional work that I do with other men. It's just to remind them that they're not alone in this journey. We're all kind of in it. It's a very interesting take because I think within social media right now and I guess also actually within the community as well because I think social media is just a reflection of what people actually think. Mm. Maybe they won't say it like face to face but they're thinking it, that's why they're commenting it mm. and anyway, the, the, the thoughts are there but I feel like there's such a divide between and I have this question in there and it's actually a question that says should black men be um, encourage to emotionally express themselves more mm. and I feel like where when I wrote that question it was a question where for me it's like yeah obviously mm. I mean you have to be vulnerable I feel like vulnerability and love is like one coin 
one coin and it's two sides to it, mm-hmm. you know? If you want to open your heart to feel love and all the great things, you can't just be like, I'm just taking in the love and the vulnerability. I'm going to, you know, brush it on the carpet. So you I, have to kind of be open for both. So, I, so what is your opinion? Because, sorry, just quickly. And then so many, but every time I post about it on the page about men um, expressing themselves emotionally, be it towards the family, friends, or even like the romantic partners, there's so many men that are like, no way you want to feminize the black man talking about the pearls in the hand. It all kind of goes together automatically even though i don't even think it has to automatically be like okay you talk about your feelings handbag you know it's mm. not like something that straight away connects but generally so many men saying no this is the worst you can never open up to a woman she will hold it against you and and all these things and i just feel like so basically you're saying that men and let's keep it within the community black men are just not there they, just, they were not made to be loved no, that's what. Not. But that's what it's given when people like always talking about masculinity. It's like men are just not meant to be loved. No, it's just, specifically you know, black men were not made. To yes, be. they are tools of capitalism and profit, and their whole value system is based on how much they earn, how much they contribute to that ideology, and that's why men who might stay at home aren't centered in society. Is because that's not a respected place to hold, especially in blackness. And we've created this like hyper-masculinity in blackness, which is I have to be the strongest, smartest, and richest black man at all times. And without that, I'm some sort of failure. And I think like we weren't made to be loved and we haven't created an environment, a culture where we can be loved. But I would say even more tellingly that if a, when black men do communicate their feelings, I don't feel that there's an openness to that. Like the, the, the position of a man in family and society is if he's not centered and powerful or feeling good, then what does that mean for everybody else? Like if you was to go to your female partner and say, this is how, or feminine energy and say, this is how I'm feeling and it's, earth shattering then what does that mean for the feminine energy like if I told you that I don't feel safe and I don't feel comfortable when I'm worried about my future and my mental health is not good and I physically don't feel my best self I'm not in shape then you don't feel safe now because you're like oh oh this is not just about empathy and being like oh that's well how can I help it's like well whoa wait you've got all these things going on what about us? What about me? What about the kids? What about what we've built? Like, what's going to happen to that? So immediately in you not feeling safe, how, it's not saying you specifically, but how can that person then turn around and be an ally to them? Because your self-interest is at risk. And so often in that dynamic, we create this space where men can't truly say what's happening for them. I felt like if, if many people heard what really men go through men's head, the fear that they have, there'll be a real reckoning socially in terms of the position of men mm. but men know that that it comes at a cost it invites other men to attack and try to do things to you like being vulnerable all the time people try it on you they feel like now you're like you're not a man so i can just do stuff to you and then you find yourself in a dynamic where people are creating things for you to deal with on top of what you're dealing with so many men don't advocate saying those things like you have to understand that like, i grew up on in an environment where every day you walked out of your house was a consideration that it was to be attacked or attacked. Mm. So a part of me knows how to deal with those scenarios, of course. 
But do I have to become the 16-year-old young Marvin to survive my adulthood? Like I have children, I have employees, I have jobs. I can't afford to be 16-year-old Marvin with all of those responsibilities. But if I don't walk out with that armor on, people will dishonor you. Like they don't see you as a person, they see you as someone to take things from. So it's like, it's that battle between how authentic and vulnerable can a man really be in this environment? Like he doesn't have the privilege of, you know, the security and being protected by the government, law, and, you know, whatever policies and procedures that are being created to protect his like ability to self-express. So it is a bit of a minefield to navigate for black men. So you do feel like so do you feel like the black man, a black man should be encouraged to emotionally express themselves more? Yes, but I think they should do that to other black men. They shouldn't invoke it externally. Like I personally find a different level of conversation. We hold a men's group every month. And every time we hold that group, a man says something to me that makes me want to cry. That makes me have a really strong feeling. Makes me want to do something, makes me want to hug him because they're really going through it. But he can say that in this in the room with us because we all know what that is really like. But if he goes and says that in his home, he says that in front of his parents, they'll talk about how the olden days was tougher. If he goes and talks to like, obviously you can't go talk to your children about that. If you go talk to your partner, that means something in terms of the house that you're building. So it's a place where you speak to your, your brothers. You need strong, healthy male, like, people that you're exist coexisting with. Like trying to exist alone as a man is not healthy. Hmm, so when, tell me more about the group like that I can put maybe like a link or something like well, that. We don't really like, for me, I, I don't really want to overly expose it. It's just the space that we have. And we, mm. we do invite openly men to come and join that space. But it's not one of those things like we're oversubscribed as it is. Like mm. it's too full every single month, which is great. But it means that we need more intentional spaces for men to exist in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's clear that men don't have it. Um, so yeah, it's something that I'm very, very present to. And obviously, like, we want men to come and seek help. But I think the WhatsApp group we created for Dog Black Dads mm -hmm. um, is the perfect example. Not WhatsApp, sorry, the Facebook group is the perfect example because you can go in there on a Facebook group just type a message and be like, this is what I'm experiencing, I'm having trouble with X, Y, and Z. And a group of men will just come and just answer the questions. Oh, lovely. Um, so I think that's probably the healthiest thing to signpost because I think it will benefit a lot of people. Um, I will add that. Like, yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, me, for me as a woman, that's actually really, really sad to hear because, I mean, I just feel like, like thinking about having a partner, you know, being with a, with a black man in a relationship, um, I would love the idea that the same way he's there for me and can support me, remembering like my ex-boyfriend that every time there was like something wrong with me, I didn't, I wasn't stressed, stressing up something, I was upset about something, like something was bothering me, I could always go to him and like he will make me feel better, like you always find like, and even till today we're still friends, if I'm really feeling down, I know I can call him and we yeah. have like one hour conversation and after I feel better. Yeah. And I think it's so sad. Like, I'm actually really, really sad right now that I'm never gonna, like, that it's not something I can give back. Well, like, like I would love the idea to be able to give it back. And I think men always talk about how they open up or they're being vulnerable and then you kind of like hold it against them. And actually there was a conversation with me and my ex-boyfriend as well, when I didn't feel like I held it against him. It's just like some things he told me about his childhood. Mm. And then one time we had like a disagreement 
And then he said something and I was like, without being shouty and I didn't say it in a rude way, I was I was actually quite calm. I was like, and see, this is exactly, you know, what you said your parents did and now we're repeating that. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good thing. And then he's like, you're holding it against me, but mm-hmm. isn't that holding it against That's not it, but can't you see that that's something that bothered you as a child and now it's, you're doing the same job. thing? It's not your job to, to join those pieces together. And, and, and that's what, what I mean but by why that. Why not? Because because, I, because you, if he if he did that to me, I would be like, yeah, you know, you're actually right. And the funny thing is, now he realizes these things. But in the moment, it's like sometimes I feel like you can swallow your ego a bit. It's not just every day like I'm like I'm nobody's about can tell you anything. Like sometimes like really listen and be like, you know what? You're actually right. Let me think about that. No, you just. Straight, like no. in your like pride thing, but no, sometimes no. you can, like, first you and know. Foremost, you need to have capacity as a man to be able to hear that. Yeah. So there, there is still timing is still an essence. Yes. Maybe not in the moment of a conflict do you bring up the thing regarding these childhood. Yeah. Maybe it's a, like okay, let me go and reflect, and then tomorrow yeah. you be like, oh, another thing we discussed yesterday. Do you think there's a link here? Mm. I think also it's just like. Um, as a partner in a relationship, we all need to improve our language. Mm-hmm. We all need to improve the ways that we communicate and be able to say what we mean. Also understand boundaries, also understand timing. Mm-hmm. Like my measurement of does it work is a real question to myself. If it didn't work, regardless of my intentions, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I could say that, yeah, I'm pointing out something to you, you should be accountable and take it in. But in reality, it didn't work. So either my timing was off or my tone was off or the content was off. And only only you will know truthfully which one of those things it was. And it's okay to be like, I'm right, but I did it in the wrong way. And then come back and revisit it another time when it's less challenging. Like we can't go around prodding around things clumsily, around things that have been shared with you that, uh, that are challenging for people. And there's conversations that we've had I would ne- I always wouldn't bring it up in any summation of anything I experience in you in because I don't know where you're at with that thing in that particular time to mm. be able to say, well, I'm joining two dots for you and I'm showing you what it like. It's like, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay, I, I would okay. just, just keep that separate because I feel when you told me that it was something that was happening for you mm. and you're telling me because you want that information to be feel safe, but you also want to get it out of you. And you want to have a shared experience about what you're experiencing. I think that's dope to be able to have someone you can share those really vulnerable, sensitive things with. I don't then need you to present it back to me in a bow and be like, this is why you're fucked up, or this is why your life isn't working. Well, I did, I I did say it, I think I did say it like in the quiet, like, but yeah, I guess the best thing would have been to just. It sounds like a timing thing. Yeah, and then just talk about it another time, like when everything calmed down it's and be like, like, you know, let's just, like after the argument, when you made up, whatnot, mm. you can be like, you know, when we spoke about this, actually it reminded me of X, Y, Z, and I really think together we can work on that. Mm. That, you know, we don't repeat it because I do also, believe Also, just yes. like, it isn't even that. It's just like, do you think the link between these two things? And also, did you like affirm and be like, I love you? And like, this is something that really came up for me when you were talking yesterday. Mm. And it sounded really big for me. And I like, I hope you're okay because you were mm. not okay at that moment. And mm-hmm. I want us to be okay. Like, I feel like sometimes the idea of affirming men and reassuring men is like a frowned upon thing to do. But mm. all of us are, de- are trying to grow out of our child state, all of us. 
Yeah. And so yeah. the way you treat people sometimes is like, I'm in my child's state and I need to be handled correctly. It isn't just to be like, well, you're a big person, you shouldn't be in your child's state, so I'll talk to you like this. Like the way sometimes I've seen men and women talk to each other is so mad and dishonorable. Yeah. It's like you're basically just saying, I don't care about you anyway. And then that's when people feel unsafe. And then the first thing he's going to want to do is get justice off of how you made him feel. So even after that, I'm pretty sure there was another instances where he would just put his effort button on and was just like, oh, effort then. If you want to talk to me about those things, then I'll just chuck something, get you for you to deal with um, because I feel this way now. Or I'll go create something and be spend time flirt with another woman to show you that like I can I can move on too. Like it's just a very sensitive thing. And I think in those relationships, if you want them to work on that person in your life, you cannot engage in that way with information that they share like that. Yeah, timing is a timing is a is a very important thing and and yeah. And, I, and it's so funny because actually I was talking to him about, you know, these social media things that have been going on recently about men setting boundaries with women. But even as well and the way you do it as well. It's this guy who was with the surfer girl. Did you get Oh, Johnny yeah. Hill. Yeah. yeah, and then he was just writing this list of things she does and should and should not do when um when he, when, if she wants to be with him and he was sending it to me and he was like, oh, you can't tell women anything. And the same way you said to me now, I said to him, you know, and then he explained it in a really calm, understanding way, like understandable way. Like, you know, this is how it makes me feel as a man. If a woman does X, Y, Z, we as men, we have an ego. There is pride. There are certain things that hurt me. Mm. You might not understand as a woman because it's a bit, maybe, maybe a little bit different, mm. but this is how it makes me feel. And it would make me feel X, Y, Z if you continue doing that. Anyways, he explained it in such a way where I thought, if somebody comes and sits me down and explains it to me like that, it's a whole different conversation than a text with a A to Z list of my do's and don'ts. Yeah, but so, so, I, so, guess context. so I, think, I think what's interesting about that is firstly, Jonah Hill was incorrectly used his therapeutic language and now using it to oppress, which is different. Mm-hmm. Okay, And that I agree with the woman in that regard. And I think that's wrong of him to do that I think him doing a show on Netflix I don't know if you've seen it he's got a show where he speaks to his therapist one on one definitely watch that it's really really good um, and he speaks about what the, some of the language that he's learned and how he approaches things so I understand what he thinks he's doing which is being clear about what the things mm. are that he is uncomfortable with but the point is is that when your values don't align there is an explanation of your perspective of the world and what you want then you should sign an individual agreement verbally about what is uncomfortable with between the both of you and what a relationship looks like to both of us. If you both sign up from that point on and then you stray away from those values, then whoever strays away is at fault, irregardless of whatever has been then seen by people afterwards. So if she signed up to that not being okay and then it happens to be a thing, then he has a right to hold her to account. But what he can't do is tell her how to behave. Yeah. What he should then do is just remove himself from a space where your values don't align up. And I think that is where he went really wrong. Like all the estimations, you can communicate them. You can say, well, why did you leave? And I'll be like, look, I I don't think our values align. Here are some examples of our values not aligning and it just doesn't work for me. It's not to say, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, this makes yeah. you a slut, this makes you, that's like the stupidest. Yeah, for sure, for ever. sure, yes. And but, that, the, yeah. but the person you spoke about, talking about men, we have our ego, 
already someone speaking in that way and no, no dishonor to him means that our values, my, my values around him wouldn't align because I can't speak to you from a place of my ego. My values are simpler and purer than that. And if they just don't align, just don't align. Like the narrative that you put around it is there to manipulate, manipulate somebody to be like, well, I'm a good person, so I wouldn't take pictures with this person and do it in this way. And you're not a good person because like, that's nonsense. Like you, whatever you want to do is up to you, but does it align to my values? Yes or no. And I can say it doesn't. And I can give very simple reasons why. And I can move on. But telling you that you have to bend yourself to my values to be with me is not it's just like the worst. And also it doesn't last. People can't put an act on for that long. So at some point it will come out. If she believes that's naturally right, then she will just do it whenever she wants or whenever you're not looking, which is worse. <laughs> so just let it go. Okay. All right then, makes sense. All right then, let's go. So now I'm gonna put these questions. So you there. can see them, but okay. Yeah. This always goes slightly off center. Yes. Do I read them? Oh. Oh yeah. my lord! Finish the sentence. Black love is. Oh, I. Black love is passionate. Wow. Yes. Okay. You went practically. Yes. Huh? <laughs> you went practical. <laughs> Why is it practical? Passionate. Okay. Well, I, I feel like that. Yes. Mm. I feel like it's just, it's something you can't even describe. It's also like more like passion. You can't really describe passion. It's just there and you feel it. Mm. And yeah. Okay. It's just like a whirlwind, but at the same time, not like one of these crazy ones, but it's just like we're passionate about each other. But even beyond, beyond men and women, but even, I know lots of people talk about how the community, we don't help each other, this, but I think you're really passionate about each other. Growing mm. up in Austria, where there's mostly like in my school and everything, white people, and then spending my weekends with, with the African community or coming home from work and being with my, my dad and, you know, going to the African community parties in Austria and being in that community as a child, I can't, like, you can't compare the two and the love mm and the togetherness and the sitting together and laughing together and you know yeah it's just more passionate and then obviously romantically it's also something completely else i feel i've dated i don't you know can't put it in boxes but i've i've dated african man caribbean man i've dated austrian man mm-hmm. um and i just f- feel like it's like a whole different even with female friendships it's different mm. we help each other more we're like you know this whole you know doing each other's hair making sure like like you know we got each other cooking for each other like I'm not saying I'm not saying white people don't do that but in all my friendship I always had with white with, with, within the white community if you can mm. call it like that mm. I haven't experienced it like that and it's just more love more passion mm. just more feeling to it what do you feel? Sense. Uh, I think my understanding is in transition. I think it is better love is intentional. I believe mm-hmm. it starts with yourself. And I think it's one of the most radical forms of activism that you can display as a person is to love yourself despite all of the things that tell you that you shouldn't. And then only when you do love yourself in the most powerful way are you able to only transfer that into somebody else. I think things can accelerate that. I think things like having children can accelerate that. Um, it accesses a form of understanding of love in a way that you probably wouldn't understand before. 
it shouldn't teach you how to love. I'm, I'm very wary of people having like emotional incest with their children and believing their children are the answer to their life mission goals, but it's mm-hmm. another story. I, d- I just think it will teach you another capacity. I think you learn from your parents, you learn from your siblings, you learn from your community, you learn from your romantic partner, your platonic friends, what love is, and then your children are another form of that different type of love. But I think it all comes from the same place. And if you're like, heart is open, you can experience it in the most powerful way. Mm. Um, I also think love has to be something that comes from like power and not fear. Mm-hmm. Like I think fearful love won't be love for long. I think you can't control it. You have to accept, it's like expanding like a cloud is. You can't <laughs> mold it into a, mm-hmm. like this is my love pocket that I'm gonna keep safe for myself. Mm-hmm. I think you can't control it, it's just an is. Um, and I think lastly, it's a choice. That's all my thoughts around love. Okay. <laughs> so love is a, a choice and not a feeling. Yes, definitely. In general, true. or are you talking about maybe black love? Universally, it is nothing to do with a feeling. It is 100% a choice. Okay. All right um, then. And then displaying love is the act of being loving mm-hmm. in each scenario that you're in. Mm-hmm. And as you practice being loving in every scenario, it will create love for both you know, the person and the subject. Okay, perfect. Do you want to... You can add this one now. Let me shuffle because I feel like you've rehearsed. No, I, I mean, I haven't rehearsed I nothing. Haven't really cynical I guess then I have... I would have probably had a better answer to the last question. <laughs> no, there's, well, the answers were the answers and they were all Yes, good. thank you. Wow. Okay, I'll choose this one. Oh my God. All right then. Well, I'm asking you that anyways. I think oh, this okay. is a good one, yeah? How can the current school system be improved? I, look, I think the biggest thing, Ofsted is not a great framework to measure the quality of schools and education. Okay. I think they should separate um, children into their preferred learning method earlier. But learning styles, like if you like visual or audio didactic, you call yeah. it, I think, okay, yeah. Um, and then manifest them while still keeping a certain level of other types of learning. So you should be able to obviously write, read, and the base level of knowledge, but it should be deprioritized over focusing on what your learning style is mm-hmm. and the subjects that fall under that or the styles of learning that fall underneath that a lot earlier. Um, look, it's underfunded, teachers aren't paid enough. Um, there's very little incentive. I think homeschooling is rising. So there's lots of challenges in it, but mm-hmm. I, I personally just feel the separation of the types of learning styles is the most essential because I think more children will navigate it. I think identifying neurodivergent children earlier and making an intentional difference in the way that they learn um, faster would also help a lot of people. Um, yeah. I love that. I've never ever thought about that, that you should separate children based on their learning styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I've been working with kids all my life, but I've never thought of that. Well, like my, my son is top of the class in every single Okay, congratulations. Well, I think, Yes, because I'm proud of that. But I also think that's great, but it would serve, it's clear indicated there's other people who are struggling in that system. Because my son is unique. He's a very, he's, he's, he's very much a perfectionist. He's very to the letter. So if you say something to him, it will hold you to that word, which is a beautiful trait and we celebrate it, but it's not, 
he can't operate in free spaces. Oh, he's not creative in a way. No, I don't think he's creative, but it's not just that he's not creative. It's just his particular learning style means that when he is creative, he needs structure to create in. Yeah. Which is different. So he's he not can, just going to be free flow. He won't sit there and demand to draw, have a vision in his head and then bring it to life. Yeah. He, if you say to him, we're drawing this flower, who draw this flower? Ah, but if you say draw something, he'll look around and not pick ah. the, probably the best thing to draw for himself. And I think that's just a different way that people need to be taught. But when he does draw the flower, he will draw it incredibly well. But he can't just free draw anything of his own because his brain will be like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't, Any not, direction. Whereas my daughter has a natural attachment to this. So I know she would draw this. If I gave her draw anything in this room, she would draw this. And I know that. And that's because of what it represents, what it looks like, the textures of it will make her drawing. Mm. So she can learn in that environment of just like, draw something. He needs to be told what to draw, but it doesn't make them any worse or better artists. So that, that makes sense. So I think it's about contextualizing the skill set and separating people on that basis, not just, you know, you know, if she gets told to draw something she doesn't want to draw, she's not inspired, so she will draw it badly and quickly and it won't give her the passion. So you have to know that so that she can be measured on the right metrics. Oh, I love that. Mm. Thank you. I have nothing to say to that. I, I'm probably going to, you know, that's food for thought for me because I never thought of that whole learning style thing at all. Mm. I don't know how, because I think about children a lot. Because mm. I, was, you know, I work with children. I, yeah. And, you know, thinking back of my childhood and yeah, so I'm really shocked. And it's so simple, actually. It's actually <laughs> such an obvious thing. I can't believe I never thought of that. I, I just, I'll take I, that yeah. one home. Thank you. Some <laughs> Thank homework you. for me for the this next few awesome. months. Oh, now you choose or I choose? Oh, yeah, you choose. choose to ask me. Okay, perfect. Mm. Oh my God, I was scared. What is your definition of a good father? Oh, I was talking about this the other day. I mean, for me personally, what's the most important thing also working with children is like somebody that's consciously present. I just see it so many times with the people I work with or even in my personal life, it's just like, there's no quality time. Mm. It's like, or it's the way where a nappy is fallen, it's not your job. It's mm. everybody else's job, but not yours. Mm. And this like quality time spending, not being there, making sure the child doesn't hurt themselves, but sitting down and playing a conscious, a, a, a deep intentional interest in your child and it's something that doesn't just come like that either you got it or you're not They're like i'm also not somebody to like blame anybody if they don't feel a certain way but for me like it would be something somebody who has a common interest with mm. me like i would as a mom probably or i do in children anyways to mm. like really take time get to know your child and having that passion about that to be like you like you know all these things you know about your child I, I working with children and seeing sometimes dads even knowing that they don't even know these things mm. like deep insights about who your child is mm. and I think for me the definition of a good father is somebody that takes time but also wants to do it not like forces himself I must mm. because somebody that generally has them in them that interest to spend quality time with the children and get to know the children for who they truly are mm. and and i mean apart from that somebody that's also like 
unfortunately, and I guess that's where it goes often wrong with people in their relationships is like, for me, obviously, it would also somebody be that loves me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that Why doesn't that necessarily, it doesn't necessarily. Do you mean that like loves their partner? No, loves me in a sense where, no, loves me actually. Actually, before I was going to say loves me in a romantic way, like nuclear family way. Who's me though? Are you the child in this? Me, or are you loves the me. I'm, the, I'm the partner. I'm the okay, woman, cool. the, the, the mother of your children. Mm. So it would be also that would be very important. Now, as I said it, I realized it must not, it doesn't have to be like in my, in my perfect world, I have this like life where I meet the, I'm with the love of my life and we have children and everything is like, you know what I mean? Mm. But even if that not is not the case, and we together and then we break up throughout the years mm. it must still be somebody like that loves me mm. you know cuz jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For example, with my ex-boyfriend, we're not together and it's fine and we're cool. But I know he loves me as a mm. person, you mm. know. So I think that's super important for me. But obviously, that's going to be a choice that I'm going to make. Mm. At least try my best to make, to, you know, have children with somebody that I know that loves me for who I am. Mm. And appreciates the mother I am or I will be. And then this, the, the difficult part is the whole provider part. I mm-hmm. feel like having somebody who provides for my children doesn't make him a good dad. All the other mm. things that I just mentioned makes him a but good in dad. Isolation. Yes, because I would never if if my partner doesn't have money uh, to support us, mm. but he's doing all the things, you're still a good dad. Mm. Other way around, it's not a good dad. Cool. You can provide and not be there for it. That's not good for me. Mm. For me, a good dad is somebody that really spends, that does all the other things. Even though, obviously, having financial support is important. Mm. But for me, that part is more important, I think. Okay. Yeah. What is your definition of a good dad? <laughs> Pretty similar, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I always say present, active and loving. Um, I think you have to be there, like, 
mentally you have to be in the room as well as like physically being in the room, mm. emotionally being in the room, spiritually being in the room with your children. I always talk about being in life with my children and I try to visit them in their world as much as possible, mm. uh, which can sometimes be quite hard because our mental neurological styles are very different. And so, what is that neurological? Well, I would say like my way of doing it is usually through play. Mm-hmm. So I play with them in a way that's like rough play or like, or just mm. mess around. That's a really good way to connect with them in life and their level, which is like being with them mm-hmm. rather than instructing them to do things constantly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then like things like puzzles and, you know, Monopoly. I teach my kids poker recently, they're into that. Mm. So those type of things I think I'm able to do with them and that's when I'm being present. Yes. Uh, active is um, being on, 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 so that's like being in life with them, being in life with like what they need is the parental part. That's like me making sure I know, you know, does she have the supplies that she needs to do the things that she wants to do? What school trips does she have coming up this week? And does she need packed lunch or is the school going to provide it? Those type of things, the day-to-day stuff, doctor appointments, that's like being active mm-hmm. in their life. And usually that's a thing that the maternal energy does. And that's something that men need to be better at, which is like planning their days, weeks, months, their life. Um, and then loving is just like patience, it's the like process of like going through the days with them and what your influence is on their day. So I'm trying to be loving regardless. If you fall over, you get lost, you get upset, whatever the emotional journey they're on, I try to be a stable rock with it. Um, and I think that can, can be hard sometimes, but that's what my understanding of a good father is. I would say that the protecting providing is just inherent. Yes. But I would also expand the understanding of protecting and providing because that is broader than just money and like physical protection. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know who's living a Liam Neeson lifestyle where people are out to get your children. So <laughs> how often are you physically protecting of them is just like not probably very much. So inherently it's like protecting them and the space and the home. And that's like what the energy you invite into your home, the people you invite into your home, all of those things matter. Um, mm. And then I would say providing is not just money, it's food, it's clothes, it's... The type of food as well. Yeah, yeah. just like providing healthy things, providing mm. information and knowledge in the house um, as well. So creating that is a part of being a good father. But I don't think you have to do it all to be a successful father because a lot of that design and that need is significantly higher than probably what was needed 50 years ago and very difficult to do and I think it's about co-parenting and a lot of that needs to be equitably shared between men and women or the masculine and feminine and it's very difficult to pair up without joint contribution that bleeds over between the masculine and feminine you know a partner can't be the only feminine energy in those in the house and in the room and you need to be able to play different roles in parenting and so i think like if you know if you if your female part the female partner who traditionally provides the maternal energy or the feminine energy is like out and you're with them by yourself and someone falls over is it just going to be get up <laughs> or yeah. do you have to like change the way you pro- you would engage and be that different role at that time you know i think if you can't play around and dance with your masculine and feminine I think you'll struggle to parent in this modern era. And I think you'll find yourself ostracized not only from your family, but your children Mm. specifically. Mm. Interesting, yeah. Okay. Mm.
Perfect. Thanks. All right then. I think you take a card now. Am I? You. I, you, I pick one and ask we're just, you. We're just going. Okay, yeah, cool. I pick one. Yes. No, hold on. I feel like you're <laughs> giving them to me. You're all running out very quickly. No. Go for it. What lesson did your parents teach you that you now know is wrong? Hashtag unlearn. Yeah, so this is one of the ones that uh, I answered with my actual mum and present. I can't really think of anything to be honest. Like, I don't think there's anything that I need to unlearn. I think she gave me a lot of scope to find out answers on my own and then support me in my answers. Um, I think it's just like she never really was able to teach me about how money works. So it's not to really unlearn it, but like I think when you're growing up without much surplus, there is a slight poverty mindset that you develop. And that's probably really reaching because mm. it wasn't like I had to unlearn it in a really violent way. It was just like I had to learn it. Mm. Um, and I think I learned how to live with not very much. So mm. I can wind my life down to like a very low cost way of existing because I can cook myself, clean myself, repairing clothes and like recycling things and making money hustle that that mentality is just in me so you know if you if i ever had to reduce my cost of living i could and I, it wouldn't impact my happiness hmm. so i think inherently i would like to wish i'd learn money better but i wouldn't even put it as a charge against her. i think she delivered pretty much on the key fronts that got me here so how about yourself my one is um the feeling of being a nuisance. You say that in English? Yeah. Being useless? Yeah. I think I was born into like a family where I was the only child to mm. a mom that didn't even want children. Right, and okay. my dad was more like, I'm an African man. I want to have children. You want this? If not, then I'm going to go and sort that out myself. Like, right. you know, mom was like, no, I love you. Like, let's have children. And I think, yeah, being born into a family full of adults where I had like mom, dad, grandma, granddad, auntie, uncle, and it was all like, I'm the only child. Mm. It was always like, yes, everybody loves me, attention. Like, oh, cute, cute, you know? But at the same time, it's like, don't touch this. You're breaking everything. <laughs> You're messy. You, you know? So even though now, as I'm working with kids, I realize, hold on, I was never messy or dirty or, or breaking everything or clumsy. I was a child. Mm. And I grew up with that feeling that everything I touch will break. I can't do anything. And I'm messy. I leave mess everywhere. And kind of like, usually the attributes of a young child that's exploring its world. Mm. But it's been so installed in me that I'm just like not really adding anything great to situations like that. That I grew up now with this like imposter, a little bit of a strong sense of imposter syndrome thinking that I um yeah everything I touch is just gonna break mm. like I don't want to use this it took me so long in my life to even like start using washing machines and stuff like that because I just thought oh, if I touch it it will break yeah, yeah and you know to the point where now I'm like super like extra like it, and it left me to be like a really messy person throughout mm. my early 20s even like I just even not tidying up because everything was always tidied behind me. So yeah, just feeling like I'm a nuisance and I bring no value to situations because now I realize I was just being a child. Mm -hmm. But my parents, my mom, she was so irritated by me just touching things, pulling things down, mm -hmm. opening things, then breaking things, losing things. But 
that's just being a child. It has nothing to do. So, so yeah, I think now I'm unlearning that. And it's a process. It's not easy because I really have to within me to think like that. Nothing I do adds value to any table. But yeah, I'm working on that. I'm also in therapy and mm. you know, realizing that that also comes from a childhood. Like, and my mom still treating me like that mm. as well mm. um, to this day. And yeah, I'm unlearning that. Mm. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's like real things. Yeah. I think sometimes people don't realize that the realest things are the small from the outset when you're looking outward looking in. Mm. Um, but the impact is huge. Mm. So then I think like it's a very real thing that you share. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think working with kids as well and seeing parents actually wanting their children to participate in like everyday tasks or wanting the children to come to certain places with them, wanting them there. Mm. I was so shocked sometimes. I was like, what? That kid is allowed to come there and isn't it an adult gathering or you know not adult adult but it's like you know i would have never been allowed to join my mom to certain things because she was just irritated by me mm. um and yeah or i help with certain things oh come on get like a little chair stand on it help me do this xyz mm. what mm. the best way i could help my mom is to just stay out the way mm. and it took me a long time as a nanny to realize like no that's not normal. Like you want kids to get that confidence of they can do for self and they mm. can do for others and they can help. So, mm. so yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's it. Can we just do a check, a tech check on everything still running? Is this still running? I'm so scared. Yeah, I think it is. Because the bomb is going up. Yeah, it is. Yeah? Oh, you have? Okay, cool. I just wanted to double check because there's nothing worse than getting this far and then finding like something missing. What I do check the light because it keeps changing. About it on this, um, cool. Well, then let's do. What did you say before to quiet set? I can't remember the words you put. What's the quiet and set? Start again. Quiet and set. What's Take that? two. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Um. Do I now? How does it work? You you choose one for yes. me. Okay. Um, I have a thing of going off center. Uh, do you believe black men should be encouraged? Oh, so we did that already. Oh, we did yeah. that one already? Yes, okay, yes, cool. Yes. Uh, this side. What is your definition of good mother? Right on the other side of it. Oh my God. Um, I guess, oh, that's so difficult. In general. Mm-hmm. I have all this talk for good. I, I can only speak based on like my mom, mm. obviously. No, actually, no, I can speak for mom's Ideologically. Huh? <laughs> Ideologically. Ideologically, I think a good mom is somebody who. I'm, I'm going to be like very biased with that. I'm not biased, but like I can only go from my experience and see mm. things I kind of lacked from my mom and I mm. see other moms doing where I'm just like, I feel like a good mom is somebody that really wants to be with their children and shows that and, and embodies that. Mm. I get that motherhood is not easy at all, but I really get that. But at the same time, it's like I see moms that find it very difficult as well. Like it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. You can't just sit there. I'm, I'm not a mom, so I can't really speak for that. You can't sit there. It's like, yeah, every mom has to want to spend every second of her day with her children. That's not the case, usually, you know. But there's this fundamental feeling of a woman that 
wants to be with her children and be there for them and want the best for them and organize for them and do for them and you know include them and then you can see there are women that just can't stand the presence of their children Mm. and i know that feeling from people i work with i find it shocking Mm. and i know that feeling from having a mother like that Mm. so i think a good mom is just somebody who really wants to be with the children and you know puts a conscious effort into you know giving them her best whatever that may be but also for me obviously the quality time part the mm. teaching them the you know organizing the household you know but yeah organizing the household i mean whatever fits in that role that kind of like balances out with what the man does in the house as well yeah. But yeah, it would definitely also be the spending the quality time and wanting to be there and, you know, nurturing them and patience. You know, I think patience is a very big part. I think patience is the biggest love, proof of love you can give your children. Mm. Having patience and having that extra patience, maybe even as a mom, where I think with that it's more like the discipline part is also very important. Mm. Yeah, and I think being like soft, like for me, it would be like soft, finding that extra patience and you know, really putting like quality effort into the children, be it educational, providing educationally, mm. emotionally, intellectually. Mm. So yeah. Why do you think there was a big difference between how you responded to fatherhood to motherhood? Because I kind of feel like I had a good dad, but I didn't have a good mom. Interesting. So yeah. So I feel like it was very easy for me to kind of like say what I would like from yeah because I kind of had that Mm. so do you feel like you had a good dad full stop or do you have a good dad based on the context of that you lived in uh, he was around you in yeah I think the second one I mean nobody's perfect but as a dad I know maybe as a partner to my mom is another story but as a dad he was a really good dad Mm. and he was like you know giving me the feeling that he wanted me there I mean he was strict African Mm. dad discipline and stuff but I think he did yeah, so I think it was more easy for me to describe that one. And with mom, was a bit like, I just wanted you to not despise my presence kind of thing. Like, I'm already happy with that. So, yeah, what about you? Um, what do you expect? I, I always think about the, co- the collaborative element of it. I really do not see the roles as linear, independent roles. Mm. I think it's literally as simple as saying a dad is a male parent and a mother is a female parent. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that there should be, in terms of actually the act of parenting, obviously creation is different. Mm-hmm. Once the child is here, there needs to be a demarcation of roles and commitment and support that we both give mm-hmm. based on who they are. Yeah. So inherently yeah. there is this thing of like, especially in the early years, I would say the primary parent being a mother makes logical sense, but it doesn't have to be the only way. I think that's because of what's required, like things like breastfeeding, if that's the choice that you make. Um, primary care does normally come from the mother, but it shouldn't be in isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a huge differentiator between what a mother and a father should play, especially after five kind of is just a tandem effect and i think finding a pattern of how you co-parent is the goal it's like who does what best this is what yeah you do, it's literally you know? that who yeah, does yeah, it best yeah, like yeah, doing yeah. bedtime yeah. is based on who can get them down best that doesn't mean that the other parent shouldn't ever try or ever do it yeah. but if one parent that's their strong point 
that's the point. You gotta get them to bed. Like yeah. it's just a gift. Who can do dinner better? Who can yeah, do dinner? like yeah, if you yeah. if you just better at preparing food, a balanced meal. Obviously, the other person shouldn't just down tools and be like, I'm not good at it. They should make an effort, but who leads matters. And I who think it's in which department. Yeah, and I yeah. think identifying who's best and making the other person better is the mission. But who leads and setting pace, but also who helps the other person figure it out. So like going putting children to bed can be difficult because men and dads have found it easier just to be like, go to bed. Like my method is go to bed. And then they just like unpack and go in the shower and they go to bed. What? How old are they? Five minutes, five and seven. Wow. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like I've cultivated that though. As in like, that's a very intentional thing that I wanted is, yeah, go to bed. And what, just listen? Yeah. There's like, at best you might get a like, oh, it's not, and then, but they go and do it. There's no delay in doing it. There's no, what? I'm not doing it. Well, like, but then I understand that I've cultivated that and that's something that fits into my personality type, which is I'm okay to detach at 7.30 and be like, it's better. Whereas I would say like, their mother might find it difficult in different ways, different And times. then they won't just not listen. They'll just be like, Well, I think they just feel like they can negotiate more because yeah, that's her yeah. personality type. But at the same time, when they fall over, they will walk past me to go to her. So we understand our roles and it's never good or bad, better or worse. It's just, we are different at different things. And if I really need to get them to bed, it's better that she even calls me about it. And so, I'll say, kids go to bed. So hold on, but what do you do if they just be like, nah, I don't want to? It was even what I do to them. No, but yeah, not, not to them, but what is your method if they just be like, no, well, well, I don't want me, to. Well, for me, I think it's about- I'm not tone. tired. No, but it's tone and intention. But I also feel like it's not impossible for them to push back. Like sometimes, like in the summer, mm-hmm. I'm telling them to go to bed at 7.30, it's bright outside, it looks like this. I used to hate that. Exactly, and I, I know that. Yeah. And so I'll make an estimation based on the day of the week. If it's Friday, if Friday and Saturday, they can stay up as long as they want. They can literally go to bed at two in the morning if they can stay up, but they can't. So I know they won't, but they, in their mind, I'm like, we get to stay up until midnight. But by nine, 10 o'clock, they're like yawning and passing out in the sofa because we, you know, make sure they have very full days. So, you know, that's a part of the balance mm. slash illusion of it all. Like, it's just, I'm not, I'm not irrational with my discipline. It comes from a structure, mm-hmm. but also I, I communicate it as it's time to rest, not bed. Mm. Like it's resting time. Mm. You know, I'm not dismissing you from us. I'm saying you have to go recharge because tomorrow's coming. And we've got this, this, and this to do. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's like framing, it's communication, it's language. But, you know, I'm not against them saying no, uh, or I don't want to, or dad, can we stay up longer? It's just, it's always communicated and we'll discuss it. And if it's just not possible, I'll tell them why. Like uh, this weekend on Saturday, he had to go to bed on time because he had football Friday night because of football on Saturday morning. And if you're going to go football and play well, you have to be rested. So. Go to bed tonight, but it's Saturday night. Stay up as long as you want. Enjoy yourself. Um, and then, yeah, you can go whenever you want. That's the balance of the conversation. It's not just like, go to bed. Yeah, you've got really well-raised raised children as well. And there's a long way to go, so let's just see. Yeah, I, yeah, I tell you, the but... first thing is like, even me as a dad, like, every time I communicate my approaches to parenting, my values around parenting, or the examples of parenting, I'm very aware that I don't want to try and create an advert 
Mm. It's not always transferable to any child. No. And this yeah. is something that I've cultivated from the beginning. And there are lots of caveats and rules that I am in tune with that you can't just say to people. But also, I'm not interested in being like a parenting advert for mm. people. Like, look at me and my mindful parent. Like, I just don't want to. Yeah, just, it's so the, personal, yeah. so specific. And so sensitive yeah. that, you know, I just, I don't really want to put a target on my children's back to being perfect. They are good children. I'm incredibly proud of them. And I feel like I have a, a hang of what I want to do with them at every single stage. But also when they go into teenagers, it's a whole area. I have no idea. Yeah, so yeah. let me not speak up. And then it's yeah, like, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very open to just like being wrong on it. And I'm taking my time with it. Yeah, I obviously know because I mean, I don't even have kids, so I don't even know. But I obviously working with kids, especially with the kids, like, you know, these rich kids in the areas here in London that are raised by nannies, they obviously have, I'm not going to put that one in, but they obviously have like this, this very dysfunctional patterns. Mm. So that's all I've worked with. That's all the kids I've worked with. Their parents are not really spending time, not really interested like that, or they give them a some crazy amount of pressure to sit certain exams with a very young age and don't spend quality time with the kid children really you know because everybody's working and then obviously those kind of kids have a whole different pattern of behavior mm. so i when i heard this about telling a child to go to bed and they so i may be like okay mm. it's just mind-blowing but obviously <laughs> I, I don't work with functional families mm. I hear that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's a different kind of like, yeah. Okay, um, who's taking cards now? I can't remember, but it's fine. You can do it. I'll take one. Okay. Uh, what can we do to protect and or uh, better our mental health as a people? Collective black mental health. What can we do to protect it? I think in general is something is, is about focusing inwards more than outwards. Mm-hmm. I can only notice with myself, you know, when you live in the outside and you're always thinking about what you have to have and what you have to do and what you have to be that you're not at the moment Mm. to be worthy of love and respect, you're always going to get lost. Once you focus the inwards and think, what do I have? Who who am I? Mm. What do I have? And what do I represent for myself? And how can I add like you know, circle like that within to add value to society. I think it's a bit of a different conversation mm. in terms of like mental health. So yeah, I do that personally. Like, you know, you can get really lost in, I don't have X, Y, Z, mm. and I'm not like this and this person. And, you know, the world sees me like that. And that's why I will never, I can get easily lost in that. And mm. I do sometimes, mm. but every time I go within and I just really, you know, focus on just feeling good mm. and it sounds so bad not in a way it's like oh i'm gonna get myself a coffee or i'm gonna book a holiday mm. even that can be it as well but just like focusing on like who i really am and and what i believe like my purpose is in life beyond all this material stuff mm. and how i can use my my my, my gifts or my pa- and my passion to really like I say self-realization, you mm. know, and to kind of embody that and bring that out and then add value through that. I think that's when I feel better. That's when my mental health improves. Mm. And sometimes I slip into the other side and then I, 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 you know, go through very depressive stages of my life. But every time I go inwards again and focus on what I can do to, mm. you know, how I can use my 
myself to inspire and also to add value, but not on the standpoint of like, I need everybody to see that, but I just want to embody that. Mm. So I think it's about going inwards rather than outwards, mm. not being too concerned mm. about what the world kind of thinks. But I think maybe mm. that's easier said than done from my point. <laughs> but yeah, what mm. do you think? Um, I think you have to identify what your belief system is. Is it capitalism? Is it spiritualism? Is it existentialism, Buddhism, Christianity? Those things, I think, guide your ways of being, in a way. Um, and then I think you have to find a way to decolonize um, your ways of thinking. If identity matters, if blackness matters to you specifically, it's one of your primary ways that you identify. I'm not sure if you can be uh, as connected to some of those other religions that weren't designed with us in mind. And so we have to find our own form of spirituality if we want that true happiness and um, healthy well-being mentally. Um, and it's a real process. Like if you ever look into the concept of like decolonizing your life, it's wow. I have a few questions about that in there actually as well. Well, like I, it's, it's weird because I realized and, and somebody who brought it up to me, she actually passed away now and she brought it up mm -hmm. to me and she refused to explain it to me. And I didn't understand why. Decolonizing your mind. Yes. Okay. And she refused to explain it because the way my mind is, if you tell me, I can understand it, process it, add to it, or research it and build an idea of what it is. And she refused to. And I was like, well, that's a bit weird. But then I went away and looked at it and I understood why. Hmm. Why did she not explain it to well, you? Well, I will say again, I wouldn't explain to you why I wouldn't explain it to you. I think if it's the concept, the sentence lands with you in some way, go and investigate what that means. Because I think you have to take into account how somebody already is living. And I can't, it's not a teaching. It's a journey of your own that you go off and ask questions about how mm. you're living and what ways of living are damaging you versus helping you. And I think spiritual, spirituality is a massive thing. For sure. And we, us being connected to particular belief systems are really problematic for blackness. Trying mm. to be a community in that particular it's way impossible. is impossible. So you have to attach yourself to new ideas. So really when I meet somebody, it's not about whether I like you, it's whether our values are right. Because that's the fruit of the tree, isn't it? Like I can tell you if I like you, because you might be fun and you might speak to a particular part of me that I enjoy. But really for us to coexist in a deeper, meaningful way, I need to know your value system. Mm -hmm. And you're more likely to find alignment in that way than you are through anything else that you're consciously aware of. So I would say that's a massive part of our mental health journey is identifying those things and aligning across those lines as it intersects to our blackness rather than just you're black, I'm black. Why don't we do something together? I think that's not a, a great way to filter. This is why I created the game as well, actually, yes. <laughs> no, not even to make an ad, but actually that's what I actually meant with it, to find out if there's somebody you can build with this. Mm. And I think after playing it, you will know, wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you know, you're aligned or not, whether yeah, you have an argument or not. If someone's but... answers, it's probably not a great indicator to keep coexisting with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's it, really. Um, I have... I think I have two more. Let's do two more. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you one actually, and I'm going to actually, 
Nah, be bold, save your chest. I feel like you're trying to retract on something. Say it, bro. No, no, I'm not trying to retract on something. I'm just like, I don't know, being difficult for no reason. <laughs> um, okay, you choose. Choose one. Okay. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give your daughter's son in regards to romantic relationships? Obviously, my son, it would be probably a bit difficult because mm-hmm. I'm not a man, you know? Okay. So I think as a, I think if I had a daughter, I would be, it would be about, um, you know, just realizing that not every man that gives you attention actually likes you, mm-hmm. you know? It's quite, you know, something in the teenage year, you think somebody gives you attention, you're like, oh, they must really like me. And it's just not the case, mm. you know? I think I would instill this quite simply. Obviously, I would go more in depth and maybe elaborate, depending on her age, you know? Mm. Because obviously, if you're reaching 16, 17, we, 17, we can go a bit more in depth when it comes to the conversation. 16, 17? Yeah. Okay, maybe... That's a bit like... Well, for me, I was a bit late. <laughs> yes. okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess, yeah. But I had talks with my mom when I was um, 12, I mm. guess. Yeah. But she, I don't know. She thinks she, I think she nurtured a little bit of a, yeah, my mom was quite free with things. Mm. So I'm not sure if she did like, no, she did the right thing. Like she never made me feel like I had to be like ashamed of my sexuality of, or, you know, but I think I would teach my daughter like just the mere fact that everybody every man that gives you attention mm. necessarily likes you and you should just like take your time and just to really figure out if you you know align with someone or if you really if you like that person if you feel safe with that person that's the most important thing i guess and a boy what would i tell him about romantic relationships It'd probably be a conversation about consent mm-hmm. and Obviously, also to respect your body. And I think sometimes it's like, maybe some people would say it's for men. Is there a way to have that conversation that's cool enough to engage an actual young person? Because I think my parents said that to me and I didn't understand what the hell Respect your body? Yeah, it sounded like a... (laughs) It sounded like you're trying to get me not to have fun, but like, obviously now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, please. Just but. show pictures of STDs. Wow. <laughs> like. Do you, I don't think that works either. <laughs> Probably not, I don't know. Um, because in the conversation of STDs is this idea of an immediate cure, so not all of them, but there is some sort of prevention managing way of doing it. So it doesn't give it as not as big a deterrent as people think. Mm. It also doesn't identify pleasure in any of those things. And that's a really important thing. I think if we taught people, young people, pleasure, they would learn to honor it in a way because it's not pleasurable more than you would if you just scare them with, you can have a baby in STDs. I don't think that's a deterrent. I think when you give them self-interest and say, Mm. if you enjoy this, then you can repeat it. They'll be more intentioned about what enjoyment looks like than they would be about what fear feels like. I think people are driven more by passion than they are fear. So basically you would you would teach them about pleasure? Yeah, starting with themselves yeah. and how to pleasure others. And if you're gonna engage in this, it should feel good. It shouldn't just happen because you're curious and you don't have answers and you wanna, you wanna try the thing that everyone else is doing. It's an exercise in pleasure. And then, then it's like, if I told you something tastes good, you're going to try it more than you are. This idea of like, I'm tasting it because it's like, it, it could, it's too hot. Like, don't touch it, it's too hot. It doesn't deter you. So you'd be like, touch it. No, I would say, yeah. if, you, if you want this brownie, this is what the best brownie in the world should look like. 
And you would look at it and be like, it doesn't look like that. So it's not worth my time because it's not worth the, the actual trying okay. this brownie. If I just say like, don't have brownies because it's too hot and it's bad for you because of sugar, you can be like, I love this brownie. But if yeah. I tell you what the best brownie should look and smell like, if it doesn't look and smell like that, your senses will go off and be like, it ain't worth it. I'll wait for the best brownie. I know where to get them from. And also you can communicate to somebody how to make you the best brownie. I appreciate the metaphor of brownie into sex is different, but we never talk about what is good for you, the reasons to do it and the context that you should do it in and be careful of that to make sure that it's actually a pleasurable experience. We just say no and don't because it's scary, because of AIDS and because of STDs. Positive reinforcement, basically. It's more than positive reinforcement. It's like appealing to the self-interest of the young person rather than scaring them into not doing something. Because the messaging of sex being cool or interesting or try it is too big. Yeah, 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 to just be like, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. like everyone's like, yeah, do it. Oh, I just did it with Jane last week. I lost my virginity. You're a virgin? Yeah. And it's just like, well, the first thing is someone that comes to you and says like, oh, that's my virginity. Is like, did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, no, it was like, you know, it was kind of cool and okay. it hurt a little bit, but like, you know, when I bled and like, that's not... And did you, so, so how, what would you teach your daughter about romantic relationships? What, so how I, would you do I, it? I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily make a big distinction between the two things. I would tell them more about, I'll teach them the same values, but I'll make them aware of is how they will experience other people in that engagement. So I think my son being more concerned with consent from a um, gaining it um, than my daughter commanding it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm not saying that they wouldn't do any inverse, mm-hmm. but I think as a young black boy, how you're perceived and what you participate in is really important. And I think even him understanding the concept of pleasure, I was never taught pleasure as a man. It was, Demonized. It was demonized, but also it was like sex is about the orgasm Mm -hmm. and it's a goal Mm -hmm. rather than an experience. So if if it's a goal, then as long as I ejaculate, job's done. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the ejaculation and the orgasm are separate. So then it's like, I didn't even know that. So I'm just like, if I ejaculate, I've won. That's my orgasm. I ejaculate, job done. I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But the idea of pleasure is... Sometimes you might not even ejaculate, but it feels good. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a check-in, like a physical check-in with someone. That's a really dope thing to experience without the goal of having to ejaculate. And therefore, it's also more about the chemistry you have with the other person. Yeah, and that's where that's where I guess the teaching comes in that you about the cookie. Yeah, that it's more about the chemistry and how you feel about the person rather than the end goal of the and orgasm. Wait for, this is wait where the pleasure actually comes from. Yeah, okay, you wait for it okay, to be good. Yes, then yes. to just wait for it to happen. Because if that's how the only way it's gonna be good if you have that chemistry, really Absolutely. and truly. Otherwise, it's just gonna be. And that's what happens a lot. You're just chasing something all the time mm. because you haven't made the time to have that connection. Yeah. If you haven't had one of those relationships where kissing was just so good, mm. and it was just about kissing, just mm. for a, like a period of time, mm-hmm. and the kissing part was explosive for you, mm-hmm. it just it just turned you on. Like if you haven't had those different ways of engaging with someone and that bring you to life, you haven't had the thing yet. Like yeah, like I feel like the other things can heighten the actual sex, and for the sex to be good, the other things are just like. It's like it's just like you're turning hobs on on a stove. Like you turn it all on, then you cook. Yeah. And I think so many people are just into cooking, just like just 
<laughs> like making stuff and just putting their dick in people and having sex and then mm. just like they're exchanging that for the intimacy the magic and the spark so they never really get it but having the physical penetrative sex is basically the thing mm-hmm. and it's their way it's their shortcut into some sort of connection whereas like pleasure is different mm. like connection intimacy and pleasure is different it can look in different ways and I think once you get into that space, it's, uh, it's a much better experience. That's what I'll be teaching them when that conversation comes. I think there's a biological explanation. Then there is a pleasure conversation. And then there is like intimacy, you, intimacy with somebody else is different. The pleasure with yourself is one phase, but when you're engaging other people is another phase. It's a whole different type of experience. It's an interesting conversation yeah. to have with, with a young with a teenager or, you know, a young adult. Mm. Not a teenager, it's not a young adult, but, you know. Well, like, I think the, you have to start in a different way really early. I don't know if you can get away with um, holding that conversation to late teens anyway. I think that's just impossible at this era. Like, it's been introduced to your children by the people that they're around, really, from secondary school onwards, if not before. Mm. Like, someone may mention it when you're 10, but you may not understand. By the time you're, like, 12, 13, you're being introduced to it people start having this idea of I've got a girlfriend and then people are like, oh, have you done this yet? You're surrounded by people who are 15, 16, You need to get 17, there before, 18. before the other people get there. It's true. Well, you need to be close enough to have mm-hmm. the conversation when it's introduced to them so that they come to you with it rather than feel like they can't and they have to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. But it's a hypersensitive thing. People hate the idea of sexualizing young people. And of course, we don't, from an adult point of view, but they're having those types of conversations amongst themselves with their age mates so you can't stop that that's just happening so are they ready for that or at least are, is the door open for them to come and talk to you about it that's yeah I mean it's a scary because I mean sex is such a like important part of your mm. life if not actually almost the important part not sex per se but your sexuality mm. is a very big part of adult life and I think it's so crazy how most households I mean I wouldn't say I came from a household like that. I mean mom wise she was quite open with me but um, I'm not saying she did the right thing, but at least there was a conversation. But to think that so many of us grew up never having that conversation at all because mm. it's something that's derogatory, you mm. say, yeah? yeah? That's just crazy. How did we, I mean, and it kind of shows, and I'm happy that we are all, you know, I'm happy for social media even and that we're all having these conversations now. But thinking about before, like, Probably like two out of ten people had mm. the actual conversation with their parents, mm. and like I said, it kind of shows yeah, <laughs> shows and how we interact with each other. But yeah, that's it. This one is unnecessary. I think we talked oh, about this before. Yeah, it was just more about childhood trauma. And I think we went through that. No, another Good one. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. Thank you so much. Um, I actually learned a lot today. Good. That was um, fun. I enjoyed that. That was like again, some of the conversations questions are simple by nature but then having to actually find words for it and commit to it like makes you really aware of like some of the answers so even for me i'm thinking that i haven't really thought about things when you brought it to the front of mind so it's a great dope black podcast even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.